This is episode number 53 of Down the Rabbit Hole with a very interesting topic related to bacteria, related mm. to viruses, mm. and how they can, let's say, kill each other. How It's called phage. Phage is the... Mm-hmm. Hopefully our friend. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Because we need one right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a very interesting topic. And, it is. Uh, we, it is. we hope you enjoy it. Yes, and uh, please remember to subscribe, mm. remember to let us your comments mm. uh, about uh, topics also. If you would like a topic that we mm. would like to co- that you would like us to cover, either suggest a topic yeah. to cover or a topic you would like to involve yourself or involve in. yourself exactly. Yeah. We can definitely get in touch with you and get you over to the show either no, one way or another. One way or another. Either remotely or in person. Or in person if you are close to us. Yeah. Okay, so uh, as always, we have, we have a couple of news there that hmm. it will be interesting to share with you. Let's go to the news. And we have some news. And the first one, mm. it's a very interesting one. It's a little sci-fi. Well, it is a little bit, isn't sci-fi-ish, it? but at the same time with some reality. Yep. Some actual occurrences. Yes. And we're talking about that some bacteria and viruses mm. that have been long uh, time dormant, uh, trapped in the eyes, mm. are starting to come out <laughs> because of the uh, melting of the permafrost. Yes, climate so change. The climate change is affecting a lot our uh, polar caps, mm. exposing areas that ha- have been hidden in the ice yeah. for thousands of years. Well, and even beyond the polar caps, like uh, the, mm-hmm. in the regions where there's like permafrost, which yeah. are like further out. Further out is the first ones that to be affected, actually. And, uh, yeah, and it kind of creeps up, obviously. And uh-huh. uh, what has actually happened, there have been a couple of cases. There was... Already? Uh, yeah, already. There was one in... Um, a remote corner of the Siberian tundra yeah. called the Yamal Peninsula, Peninsula. Uh-huh. which is within the Arctic Circle, but is... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, a 12-year-old boy in 2016 uh, died of anthrax. Mm-hmm. And uh, at least 20 other people were hospitalized as well at the same time. And... This is interesting, the theory about what happened, actually. Yeah, the, the, the theory about what happened was that in the area, about uh-huh. 75 years ago, uh, a reindeer was infected with anthrax and died, uh-huh. and it was uh, frozen into the, they think it was frozen into the... Permafrost. Uh, into the permafrost. And it was only in 2016 that the, that permafrost uh, melted. Or, melted, or exposing thawed, the anyway. carcass. Yeah, and the, the, the carcass was exposed... Releasing the anthrax, and and that's... And it's thought it got into the soil and the water. And then, of course, it got into the people. And, in fact, 2,000 reindeer grazing nearby were infected. And And people as well, humans. Human cases, right? Yeah, because the problem is that um, it just spreads. It's... Yeah. We we mentioned this some time ago yeah. about how bacteria and viruses start to slow down their processes until they become like dormant. dormant. Yeah, exactly. So being in the permafrost keep them dormant, mm. and the moment they heat up, boom! Yeah, they just alive. come back to life, right? They're they're just sat there. And in fact, uh, an evolutionary biologist, Jean Michel Clavieri, at a university in France. He commented that uh, pathogenic viruses, pathogenic viruses that can affect humans or animals, uh, could well be preserved in permafrost layers, including some that have in the past caused global pandemics. Uh-huh. And that with our, you know, gradual warming that's going on, uh, we may be revisiting <laughs> some yeah, of these. Other pandemics there. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, so that's just something to cheer you up. <laughs> And uh, we'll, we'll not finish there because we've got another one that's equally cheering. Oh, yeah? Um, and this is from the UK. And, uh, in fact, a well-documented and known uh, killer whale, which lived around the coastal waters of the UK, uh-huh. was actually... With the name Lulu. Lulu, it was called. It was well known to researchers anyway. Um, it was washed up, died. Uh, it washed up on a beach and 
the opportunity was taken to see why it died and yeah. so forth. Anyway, when they did the analysis, they found that the body contained the highest levels of what are called, abbreviated as PCBs, which are really horrible chemicals. Yeah, polychlorinated biphenyls. biphenyls. Uh, Now, these were banned in the 70s, and yet here we are with a killer whale in 2017, and the safe limit is supposed to be, is considered to be, nobody knows what the safe limit is, but the safe limit that has been set is 20 to 40, anything beyond 20 to 40 milligrams per kilogram is a problem, right? Yeah, within the tissues. Within the tissue. Now, this killer whale, now just remember that this chemical was banned in 1970. Uh-huh. This killer whale had a thousand, a kilogram, sorry, a gram per no. kilogram. A yeah. thousand yeah, yeah, milligrams. Yeah. So... These absolute maximum safe limit is reckoned to be 20, and this had a 1,000. And this was not a very old... 20-year-old. Uh, it's only 20 years old, right? So yeah. it's nearly 50 years since the chemical was banned, and here's a whale... That is overly That's exposed. 20 years old, mm-hmm. and it's got a 1,000 milligrams, mm-hmm. and it makes you think about how one how long-lived some of these chemicals can be, mm-hmm. and the fact that obviously they get into the ocean environment, yeah. and you've got to ask yourself whether this stuff is getting into the food chain. Because if it's in a colour well, why yeah. isn't it in other fish? That, that's what the, the scientists were saying, that yeah. most likely all the food, the animals, the little animals that the whale was uh, feeding on, yeah. they must have had also yeah. higher concentrations exactly. so that she was able to acquire yes. those high levels. Yeah. And the effects of um, PCBs are known in that they affect brain function mm-hmm. because they affect brain chemicals. And it's thought that this whale may have become, um, may have died because um, its brain function was affected and it couldn't deal with some situation maybe... Uh, being um, caught in fishing lines or nets or something, mm-hmm. whereas normally it would not have a problem with that and be able to get away. With impaired brain function, it may not. And strangely, uh, a, a recent study said that European waters are a particular hotspot for these mm. PCBs. And the thing about PCBs is to actually destroy them, they need to be incinerated at more than a thousand degrees centigrade, which is pretty hot. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, they're not going to get destroyed for a long time if they're just in the ocean environments. In fact, probably mm-hmm. they're probably going to last for a long time, aren't they? Yeah. So it does make you worry uh, somewhat about the kind of marine food chain, doesn't it? Yeah, and also the management we have of uh, waste. Yeah. Okay, those are the news. And let's move on. Yeah, okay. Oh, the main subject. I thought that's very interesting. Yeah. And we come to our main topic, which is very interesting, phage, the bacteria killer. Yeah, exactly. Let's, and, let's hope it is, right? Yeah. Because we've got a problem, right? Yes, and we have talked about this uh, topic before, Yeah. about how bacteria resist antibiotics, uh, yeah. resistance. And it's growing as a problem. As a problem. And very it quickly. becomes a health problem. Yeah. So also as, for us. as a quick, a quick resume of uh, antibiotics, the First antibiotic was, of course, penicillin, mm-hmm. and that was um, discovered, I think, in the nineteen late twenties. I think, yeah, by uh, Fleming. Yeah, I think he was a Scottish uh, researcher, and that came at a very good point as we were about to start a world war. <laughs> yeah, we were about to participate in one. We didn't start it, but and um, interestingly, although there have been a number of antibiotics were developed beyond uh, penicillin, there actually hasn't been a new antibiotic developed, mm-hmm. a wholly new antibiotic, for 30 years. 
Wow, 30 yeah. years, yeah. And apparently one of the problems is that nobody nobody can make any money out of it. So, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and as we know, Big Pharma, the mm-hmm. pharmaceutical industry, uh, are very highly motivated by making profits, and it is very expensive to develop uh, new drugs. Um, it's, it's estimated to cost something like... Um, half a billion dollars to take a new drug from, you know, a a blank sheet of paper Mm -hmm. to uh, the chemist shop shelf. So clearly, um, Big Pharma likes to develop stuff that uh, has some kind of profit attached to it, and antibiotics are not one of those things. Mm -hmm. So what has happened? What has happened is that... Um, it's a natural um, mechanism of bacteria yeah, to, defel- mechanism. to develop defences to uh, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And, it, and in fact, I was looking at something the other day that said this is a wholly natural process, and in the natural world, shall we say, where you have competing um, bacteria, uh, the bacteria, one group of bacteria, will attempt uh-huh. to destroy another group of bacteria by attacking them, and the natural reaction of the attack group is to actually create their own antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And there was a very interesting um, thing I, I read in preparation for this, which was that there is a, some work done in a set of caves in your uh, mother country, Mexico, yeah, uh, of course. where samples were taken from the wall of this cave. And then this cave... Um, that was in the north of the country, if I recall. It was in the north yeah. of the country, and no no human had ever been in this cave. And samples were taken from the wall of bacterial mm-hmm. mats on the wall, and this bacteria was found to be resistant to every known antibiotic that we developed in the last <laughs> 60 years. Everyone. And yet it had never, no human had ever been down there. In contact with that. So this kind of emphasised that this antibacterial, uh, antibiotic uh, mechanism in bacteria is is perfectly natural and it's Mm -hmm. been going on for billions of years, right? But of course the problem is that with our use of them, this is what makes modern medicine possible. Yeah. The fact that we have these things. Well, probably without modern medicine and with antibiotics, we would still be a little more controlled in population (laughs) because that would be... A lot more people would be dead. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And in fact, this, uh, the antibiotic apocalypse, as it's probably Uh known, it's probably not too far off the truth, uh, would, would effectively take us back to the kind of Middle Ages. uh, Yeah. Because... Strangely, in fact, really not even that far back, uh, because um, apparently, obviously, prior to penicillin, Mm -hmm. there were no antibiotics. So if we just go back to before penicillin, which is like the 19th century, Mm -hmm. a simple thing like cutting your finger could kill you. Yeah. Right? You get that infection. That's like unheard of. These are not things we recognize anymore, are they, as, no. as normal life? It's a, it's a given already that yeah. these kind of things, they're nothing. Right? But this, uh, this problem we're facing where all the uh, available antibiotics are beginning to not be effective would potentially take us back towards that thing. So obviously there is a big uh, push to find solutions for that. And... Just as a kind of a quick kind of a primer, we just want to cover what is a bacteria. Right? Mm-hmm. So a, a bacteria is uh, is uh, the domain of microorganisms. They're very tiny, uh, micrometers in length. They come in a few different shapes, spheres, yeah. spheres, rods and spirals are their common forms. And the basic thing about them is that they can reproduce. Yeah. Right? and they uh, are all over the place. They're in deep-sea vents, they're in deep underground, they're uh-huh. in uh, hot springs, they're everywhere, right? Um, they can also live in uh, symbiotic and parasitic relationships with 
Absolutely. Animals, plants, Absolutely. even humans. Absolutely, they're in your gut. Right? Yes, in your stomach. In fact, they're essential, right? Yeah, fact, they're essential. In fact, without the what's referred to as the flora and fauna exactly. in your gut, you'd die, right? Uh, you have good bacteria and bad bacteria. Absolutely, and hopefully the bacteria. The good bacteria overwhelms the bad. Which actually is one of the problems with uh, also antibiotics. That sometimes, for getting rid of the bad bacteria, you, you also affect the good one. Well, in fact, this is apparently one of the biggest problems is that generally speaking, very often when mm -hmm. we're prescribed antibiotics, it is what's called a broad-spectrum antibiotic, yeah. and it just kills everything. It's like, mm -hmm. it's like carpet bombing, right? And you become susceptible to other... Yeah. In type of infections yeah. and problems. So instead of, uh, apparently, apparently this thing of giving, giving a broad spectrum antibiotic, because I was reading about this, is because when you go to a doctor, a doctor effectively has no way of actually knowing. Unless you get some blood tests or yeah. some testing. And apparently this can take up to 10 weeks to culture and actually figure out. Now, interestingly, there is some technology coming along And I actually saw a demonstration of it the other day, yeah. which is a little thing. And I'm not joking. It was half the size of a mobile phone, a smartphone. Mm -hmm. And it, believe it or not, it was a DNA sequencer that plugged, wow. plugged into a laptop via a USB port. And basically you could take a drop of blood and put it in this little sequencer and close the lid. Mm -hmm. And it took one hour to wow. sequence the DNA, and then four minutes to analyze the actual problem, you know, which uh, infection you had. And this technology is currently going through an extensive trial in the UK. Interesting. And, and potentially within five years, that technology will be in doctor's surgery so that when you go to a doctor, instead of him giving you a broad spectrum He will take and out a little thing. He'll give you a he'll give you a test. Say, ring me up this afternoon, and they'll be able to give you a Specific. antibiotic targeted. Right? Mm -hmm. So instead of this carpet bombing approach, which is what we have now, you uh, have this precision bombing. Yeah. Right. So that's what a bacteria is. It's a little bit of living single cell stuff. And it can reproduce. This is the thing. Yeah. Right? And the next one is a virus. A virus, which is quite interesting because, be a, yeah. because a virus is not technically considered Living. to be alive. Right? Exactly. Because it can't reproduce. But it's considered to be biological agent. It's biologically It active. also reproduces inside of cells. Well, but of living hosts. It has to infect a has cell. Has to infect, yes. And it hijacks this mm -hmm. the bacteria. So it, it, exactly. it, it injects its material into a bacteria and gets the bacteria... It, it's like the replicators. It is. Right? It is exactly like that. Yeah. It makes the bacteria mm -hmm. into a virus factory. And it right? can just uh, create thousands of copies, boom, 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 like... Incredible. Production rate. Yeah. And it is amazing. Yeah. And viruses contain also genes. Yes. So they give them the ability to mutate mm. and evolve. Exactly. As do bacteria, of course. Yes. And there is a special class of virus, virus. which we will talk about in a minute, which is called a phage. It's actually called Or a bacteriophage. A bacteriophage, which is a bit confusing, but yeah. <laughs> it is a type of virus. Now, <laughs> a, a, a phage, is actually, which comes from the Greek uh, to devour, uh -huh. um, from bacteria and to devour, also obviously reproduces or attempts to reproduce yeah. itself by injecting itself into a bacteria. Mm -hmm. But the thing about bacteriophages is that they can be tailored to actually destroy the a bacteria certain, yeah. by bursting the cell wall of the bacteria. Mm -hmm. And bacteria, uh, bacteriophage are actually the largest uh, group of viruses uh, on the planet. And the current, there's a, a rough The number is so... Uh, it's quite clear. large. There's a kind of a rough, rough estimate, which is there are more than 10, 10 million, trillion, trillion, trillion bacteriophages. Wow. More than any other organism, including bacteria combined. And basically, you find bacteriophages wherever you find bacteria. Yeah. And 
interestingly, there are um, treatments. Uh, bacteriophages have actually been evolved, developed as actual specific medical treatments mm-hmm. now, but not in the West. This is a thing that was done more in the East, like Eastern Europe. Yeah. And there are, in fact, one or two clinics in Eastern Europe where they actually offer bacteriophage treatments, whereas in the West, it's we're only just getting around to kind of looking at it. Yeah. And the bacteriophages are really quite interesting and in that they offer a uh, potential um, way of countering this antibiotic uh, apocalypse. They're not a solution, but they're kind of a, how shall I say, a kind of halfway house mm-hmm, mm-hmm. towards kind of staving off the worst effects of the uh, antibiotic resistance while we figure out uh, what to do about antibiotic resistance. And for example, uh, this is very recent news, uh, yeah. In in the US, um, a bunch of uh, a research team have just announced that they've uh, re-engineered at the molecular mm-hmm. uh, the molecular level a, um, a an antibiotic that is uh, becoming less and less effective against a very common and a major uh, disease vector, which is um, vancomycin. Is the uh-huh. um, yeah? It's vancomycin resistant enterococci. Mm-hmm. It's called VRE for short. Um, it's found a lot in hospitals. Uh, can cause dangerous wound and blood infections, and is considered one of the greatest risks to human health because it's drug resistant because it's, it's really drug resistant to this uh-huh. uh, current yeah. antibiotic vancomycin now what these scientists have done is they've uh, re-engineered uh, vancomycin and actually boosted it with two additional weapons to attack uh, this uh, this bacteria and it's un- in tests in the laboratory, it's not mm-hmm. yet been tested on either animals or humans, but in testing, it's been shown to be a thousand times more potent than the original drug. And not only that, but obviously the thing is, is about can the bacteria develop uh, mm-hmm. a defense against it? Now, this is why they engineered a further two attack vectors into the into the the antibiotic Mm -hmm. because uh, basically a bacteria uh, may be able to come up with a strategy for one attack vector, Mm -hmm. but it it is thought uh, almost impossible for it to come up with a, a, it can only do one at a time, shall we say. Uh So basically, let us say um, the antibiotic is applied to the bacteria and it tries to come up with a defense against one of the vectors one of the other two vectors will take it down. Yeah, and one of the one of them, the most um, uh, enhanced, mm-hmm. was the one that uh, hurts the bacteria. Mm. You know, in a very the most the most, which is destroying the cell walls. Yeah, because once the cell wall is punctured, is that's it? It's like a balloon, right? Yeah, it's game over. Boom! Puncture the balloon, all the contents spill out. Game over, as you say. You are not anymore working as a, an yeah. organism. Yeah. No more bacteria. There, yeah, absolutely. There's no more fraternizing with other bacteria for mm-hmm. you, right? And so this uh, this kind of approach mm-hmm. of uh, re-engineering existing bacteria at the molecular level is obviously something, clearly, if they can do it with this, particular antibiotic, yeah. then potentially maybe they can look at others. So it's kind of like it's kind of like re uh vamping an existing uh, you know, it's like putting yeah. a, it's like putting a turbocharger on a car or no. or, you know, adding your uh adding your nitrous oxide gas to the thing but, or whatever it is, peroxide. But gas. here I'm gonna be the voice of the voice of doom. 
Yeah, Voice of Doom, Voice go, of the Conspiracies. Go kill me. If this could be done to help humans and mm. cure, what will stop sometimes people to engineer, engineer. and to try one of those uh, phage uh, viruses mm. to attack good cells, good bacteria, <sighs> and cause death and infections well, in you, others? You, the, the problem is, as we've discussed before, yeah. any technology is a double-edged sword. Can be used sword, for good and bad, it? right? Yeah, exactly. It's a double sword. It's yeah. a double-edged sword. And I think we've also touched on in the past... This growing, we all know about maker spaces, right? Where uh -huh. people get together and fiddle around with tech, you know, repairing stuff and building really odd things. Um, there is actually a maker space in biotechnology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and for example, I know, for example, that in New York City, there are at least two maker spaces for amateur biotechnologies okay. and apparently apparently i wasn't aware of this till i read into this you can actually buy stuff now on ebay believe it or not <laughs> which is like equipment second-hand equipment from bio labs that are actually sold into the bio maker space space wow. yeah, yeah so the kind of amateurs hobbyists actually establish these laboratories where they're doing stuff, right? We, we don't know which stuff. We don't know what they're doing. Right? Yeah. Uh, nobody knows what they're doing, actually. It's purely up to them to regulate themselves. And it does make you wonder whether if they can obviously do it, then other people can do it. Yeah, for sure. Maybe people with a few more resources, shall we say. <laughs> And it does make you wonder whether at some point we're going to enter into a period of... Bioterrorism. Bioterrorism. Because this, you know, obviously in my country recently, there was a, in my home city, actually there was a very unfortunate incident of yeah. a suicide bomber. If you think that those kinds of people who have obviously these kinds of motivations, you would have, they, you've got to expect they're mucking around in this area. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. It's obvious. It's right? obvious that... I don't think we're giving anybody ideas here. No, not at it's, all. It's such an obvious... I think they're always a step ahead. Yeah. Well, they're always thinking of the next yeah. crazy stuff to do, right? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so as you say, uh, if they can do this molecular engineering of a, um antibiotic, then clearly they can... Do all yeah. kinds of clever stuff. And what about some, uh, oh, in the, some of the notes, we have something like about ants. Ants, ants can tackle the, this problem as well. Uh, this is quite interesting in that, um, in that um, there has been some recent uh -huh. uh, research results announced about looking at, um, obviously, the natural world and how the natural world... Uh -huh deals with this kind of thing. And uh, research has been done into the world of ants. Now, as we know, ant colonies are very interesting places. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, a lot of ants uh, species, they cultivate these fungi, mm -hmm. which they use, they have like farms, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's, like a, it's like a farm, right? And and they, um, they cultivate these farms and... Obviously, these farms are susceptible to bacterial infection, and yet it's found, it's been found that ant uh, colonies are very good at keeping these uh, ant, uh, these fungal farms really clean. Mm -hmm. And what has been found is that, in fact, ants uh, create a bacteriophage, and this, uh -huh. this bacteriophage can, in fact, be harvested and work has been done to harvest these uh, bacteriophages from ants uh -huh. and it's found actually to be very effective and tests have been done where um, um, superbugs have been deliberately um, yeah. um, grown and then this uh, bacteriophage derived from created by ants, has been applied to it and has been totally effective in in preventing the bacteria from spreading. To spread, yeah. And I watched a, actually a really interesting program this week on this where a test was done mm -hmm. where a uh, an 
um, a dish, you know, like a egg or a petri dish. Yeah. Uh, was prepared with the nutrient uh, growth medium for bacteria. Uh, this bacteria was put onto the growth medium, and then an ant uh-huh. was like, it showed an ant on the end of a little, like, stick, and the ant's right on the end of the stick going, what the hell's going on? Uh-huh. And this guy, this uh, lab assistant, had like a swab and he was basically just brushing the ant wow. like this, and then he got what he got from the ant, which was just whatever yeah. it was on the ant, and he put that in the centre of the Petri dish, just kind mm-hmm. of brushed it in the centre, and then they put it into the little cooker that they put him into, and a few days later they pulled it out, and all the uh, Petri dish was covered in the bacteria, and in the centre where he'd put this stuff was a complete Clear. clean circle. Nice. And that was just by brushing the ant and then brushing it onto the uh-huh. So clearly the, the, the natural world yeah. is full of potential uh, treatments. And, treatments, natural solutions that and, occur. And apparently one of the issues is that up until now we've just not had the means to actually tease out by doing DNA analysis, uh-huh. all the different, because apparently there are thousands of potential antibiotics in the natural world that we just don't know how to, uh, we just don't recognize them yet. Yeah. Because we haven't had the technology to quickly test and separate them out and so on. So this whole thing about um, antibiotic resistance Uh-huh. Um, there was a recent call in the last couple of years for world governments to actually get together Mm -hmm. because obviously it's a problem that affects everybody. And the idea is to actually pool resources to actually find the next batch, shall we say, of antibacterials and alternates like bacteriophages Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and obviously to look at the natural world and try and find things like these uh this thing that has been found in ant colonies there there must surely be many many examples of that kind of thing um so no need to panic (laughs) um but it does make you wonder and certainly the habit that we have of handing out antibiotics for everything. Yeah. For example, if you get a cold... A cold, there are doctors that prescribe antibiotics. It's right? Because it's, it's viral. Ineffect- right? Ineffective completely, yeah. Compa- and all they're doing is adding to this problem. You need to let the virus go through its cycle, and yeah. that's it. And I'm no doubt there is probably a, a phage treatment for mm-hmm. a cold or flu, which we don't have access to. Mm-hmm. or hasn't been developed yeah. yet, but giving people uh, antibiotics is just crazy. Yeah. And, of course, the other issue is that it's used in farming, and, of course, antibio- antibiotics get into the food chain, and, of course, we're eating the food, and that yeah. raises all the... So that is the um, the hopefully not... Shortly arriving antibiotic apocalypse. Apocalypse, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's, it's thought we maybe have 10 years to get on top of it. Uh-huh. And I'm sure as we get nearer to, uh, as time progresses and the number of fatalities starts to rise, there will be a bigger a, investment into a developing. focusing of attention, yeah. shall we say. Because in the end, it could be you and uh, these diseases that are now becoming more resistant are no respecters of wealth, status. Nothing. Nothing, right? Mm-hmm. They don't recognize the size of your bank account. So mm-hmm. we're all in the same boat. So it's in everybody's yeah. interest to find a solution. Now, we'd like to finish with a couple of couple books. Because we'd no. like to yeah. give you a couple of books. Here's an interesting one. Yeah. Classic Jack London. Yeah. The book is called The Scarlet Plague. And it's a hundred years old. It's old. And it's like a, a vision. It is a vision, actually. Of, it? it is meant almost to be the yeah. precursor of a lot of dystopian 
Så so sorry, plague, sorry. anxiety, and then so yeah. The, so the plague comes without warning mm. and starts to kill within one hour. Mm. So people try to you know uh, isolate them bunker themselves, themselves into their homes. Mm. Uh, but once one of the one person gets infected, mm. the disease will kill just entire families. Yeah. And in the perspective of the book, the narrator specifically mentions uh, governments covering up the reality of, you know, how truly dangerous is this plague. <laughs> and the bodies just start to pile up in the streets. There's a lot of violence, uh, murder, mayhem, yeah. you know. Have you ever heard this story before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of even movies nowadays Oops. about that. Well, you look at movies like 28 Days Later, uh-huh. uh, I Am Legend, all this stuff. Even old ones about, uh, how, how was it called? Uh, uh, a small town that gets, you know, quarantined. Um, and outbreak. Outbreak, yeah. Um, a lot of these zombie movies are kind of based on Are plague, based on this, yeah. Are based yeah. on plague. Jack London, very famous writer mm-hmm. still, a um, hundred years ago, right? That is amazing, right? And yeah. And the next, we could have given you all kinds of more modern books, but we'll give you one more uh-huh. modern book, which I haven't read. It's by a guy called Brian Hodge, uh-huh. and it's called Dark Advent. And this is more kind of what we were talking about, which is uh, a weaponized plague. Yeah. Remember, you heard it here, possibly <laughs> not first, but... And, and basically, in this book, um, it's very contemporary. There's a weaponized plague. Um... Obviously, there are survivors. There's an evil antagonist. Like always, there has to be that good <laughs> and the there's, bad. There's got to be a bad guy, right? But apparently in this particular book, the bad dude is really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just trying to bring him out the end of the world. So um, I did think, what about movies? And I decided that there are so many of them. <laughs> that better just put a link. We've got a link that has the best... Uh, disease stroke outbreak movies <laughs> of recent times, and it's got all the usual suspects in there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, have a look at the links. But those books look quite interesting. Yeah, they do. Certainly they do. Yeah. So that is it for uh, Phage, the Phage. bacteria killer. Yes, and our main topic. And our main topic. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, and uh, finally today we've got this uh, very interesting bit of uh, a bit of an article that we're using as a source mm-hmm. that talks about how your kind of everyday behaviours, your little habits, your little behaviours that you don't really kind of think about, how they actually give away mm-hmm. big clues as to your core personality. I think this is very true, and. Yeah. You can notice it in in many people. Well, certainly, certainly, as soon as you read about it, as, uh-huh. we've done, as we've done for this, it's kind of a well, yeah, obviously, right? Yeah. But again, sometimes you need these things pointing out to you, don't you? And, uh, so, for example, in a in a kind of a nutshell, if you are a very conscientious person, mm-hmm. um, then the chances are that you're more likely to have good physical health and more harmonious relationships than other personality types. And that if, for example, your behavior is extrovert, Mm -hmm. then um, you tend to be happier, which is interesting because obviously if you think about it, if you're extrovert, then you're probably pretty good at social situations. Exactly. Good at a party. You know, mm-hmm. So you are constantly in, you put yourself in situations that yeah. you enjoy. Yeah. They, they, you enjoy the you, challenge of... And probably meeting. the attention as well. Uh, almost. Because uh, when almost, uh, extroverts, you know, usually attract a lo- lot of attention. Yeah. And again, obviously, if you think about um, the arts, if you think about rock music, for example... Mm-hmm lead singer in a band tend to be extrovert, right? Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, to get in front of that audience. Uh, actually, uh, some, like a month ago, in one of the Synapse uh, podcasts, oh, yeah. 
uh, we were talking about a band that opened a concert in which you could see that the singer was a totally contrary to that. He was an introvert. Oh, right. He was with his shoulders bending forward. Right. He was uh, not watching at all to the public or at least to the front, you know. Right. Uh, some people tell you, okay, don't watch specifically somebody, just watch to the front, face the public, yeah. get the attention. Or look at the back, as it were. Yes, look at the back. But this guy was not even watching there, was watching the floor, wow. talking to the microphone, and his shoulders were rounded, yeah. his back was rounded forward, and it was the most boring band I have yeah, ever seen well, in my life. <laughs> well, strangely enough, I read something else very recently about Johnny Carson. You know Johnny Carson? Yes, big, yes, of course. Uh, the big TV mm -hmm. host in the US, he's retired now. Mm -hmm. But apparently he is uh, a real introvert. Mm -hmm. And yet his presentation style was very extrovert. Yeah. And I think it, it was in his uh, memoir, his uh, uh, autobiography, that he said that he deliberately learnt to act like an yeah, extrovert. it's acting practically. And that as soon as his show finished, he flipped back into Johnny Carson introvert and he never hung around with the crew, he never hung around with guests. When the show finished, he just walked off and went home, mm -hmm. which is bizarre, right? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so, so that was extroverts. Yeah, we have another category yeah. or another type, which is highly neurotic. Yeah. So highly neurotic people will have uh, the chances to experience more mental health problems. Yeah. Again. Makes sense again, right? kind of makes sense. Uh, it's kind of, I'm not sure whether this is common sense or not. Uh -huh. It's kind of common sense-ish, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, here's another shocker. <laughs> that that open-minded people tend to commend a higher salary. Mm -hmm. Earn more. Again... I suspect that when you have somebody who's very successful in business, mm -hmm. they're probably a combination of open-minded and extrovert. Don't you yeah. think? And also, you have the last one, because yeah. this one also goes with others combined. Yes. The agreeable people. Yeah. And as you might already guess, yeah. the agreeable people are usually very popular and have lots of friends. Yeah. And that, what I suspect is, obviously, this is a great simplification, isn't it? Uh, I think so. It was trying to put in these uh, five... Uh, kind of pigeon big categories, right? yeah. yeah. And that probably each of us is... A if, combination of... Yeah, if we kind of have of the analogy, some. as there's one in front of us, as a, of a mixer disc, mm -hmm. and each slider is one of these behaviors and we have the uh, the sliders on yeah. and uh, each, up and down each one of us has a different mix different setting yeah of yeah. course you know i think i think that's the reality mm -hmm. but there is uh, there have been many many studies uh over the decades obviously of this kind of thing uh -huh. and um certainly even more recent studies have borne out that this is uh -huh. the case uh there is this one uh, here about um, a personality test that was conducted fairly recently um, and participants were asked to rate how accurately a hundred different traits now basically I couldn't think of a hundred different traits but <laughs> it would seem that somebody has sat down and actually and did it, yeah. So a hundred different traits, adjectives that describe their personality. So, for example, bashful, kind, neat, relaxed, moody, so on and so forth. Artistic, um, artistic, right, and, so um, and basically, this was conducted on a, a group of about eight hundred people in the US in the state of Oregon, and the average age of the person was 51. 51. And basically, they, the researchers compared the, their personality scores mm -hmm. with the same participants, but from four years earlier. Mm -hmm. And, yes, yeah, so they compared the two uh, sets of results four years apart. So, basically, they had a list of 400 different activities and what they did was they um, uh, 
kind of assessed the kind of words these individuals chose four years apart mm -hmm. to describe their personality against this list of different activities of 400 different things. And no shocks, really. Uh, what they found was that uh, extroverts spent uh, a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time planning and having parties and drinking in bars, and as well as obviously um, doing other kinds of things uh -huh. in that in that area, discussing ways to make money. Uh, talking on the phone while driving, while driving, <laughs> uh, decorating and trying to get a tan. So this kind of the the extroverts were kind of doing all the kinds of things you would expect them to do, whereas the ones that had uh, more were more conscientious. They were avoiding uh, various kinds of activities, um, including such things as reading, reading. which is yeah. I was quite surprised at that. Swearing. <laughs> what is odd is I would have thought reading would have. I don't. I don't know what I think really, but it's been speculated that reading might be seen as being um, highly conscientious as a leisure time activity. So if, mm -hmm. they, if they are conscientious, then they would avoid doing that because they have less leisure time. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, and they also avoided swearing and. Chewing on a pencil. Chewing on a pencil. I, I gave up that years ago. I, I, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, whatever. And I then mean, we have the agreeability. Yeah. So so people who yeah. were scoring high on agreeability, and remember these are the choices of words mm -hmm. that they chose to describe themselves, uh, assessed against their activities. These people <laughs> with high agreeability said that they spent more time doing the ironing, <laughs> which is like... Really? Yeah. Playing with children, hopefully their own. <laughs> yeah. And, and washing dishes. And washing dishes. Now, I don't know about you, but that strikes me as being conscientious rather than agreeable, but maybe that's just me. Well, what they say in the study is that pres uh, presumably because there's strong motivation to keep other people happy, means, they means they'd rather things. do the, the chores than having... Uh, a domestic uh, problem so the or disagreement. So basically what they're doing is they're trying to make the other people like them. Exactly. Right. Like the term maybe says it, agreeability. You I know, suppose. They agree with all. Yeah. And particularly they want you to agree with them. Or they don't like to disagree. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And um, neurotic people tended to engage in activities that reduced mental stress, which is, mm -hmm. I suppose, what you'd expect, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, including such things as taking tranquilizers <laughs> and, and antidepressants. I'm not so sure that's an activity. But <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for some it's an activity. Organised activities today are taking <laughs> our antidepressants. Um <laughs> But interestingly, neurotic people also admitted to more antisocial behaviours. So, uh, like Such as losing the temper. Losing their temper. That is quite interesting. I'm, the problem is I'm reading this and I'm thinking about people I know. Is, <laughs> That's fit in that category. Yeah, obviously not myself because I'm perfect. So. <laughs> <laughs> and, and away we go. Um, and finally, if we just touch on open-minded people. Uh-huh. Um, again, they went together with some fairly obvious things like uh, reading poetry, going to the opera, smoking ganja, <laughs> uh, producing art, uh, but also some less obvious things like swearing in front of other people and eating particularly spicy food for breakfast. Breakfast? Well, I would eat a spicy breakfast as well. You would? I would have some, for example, I think um, uh, eggs and omelette, and I would With put a some bit of chili, chili on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's face it, Rafa, you will put chilies on anything. Yeah, that's true. This is true. Right? <laughs> so I'm not so sure that I think that's more a cultural thing than a. Yeah, for sure. But I think so. Um, oh, <laughs> this is a good one. The uh, open-mindedness. Their other behaviours are include. Hanging around the house with no clothes on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And in fact, in the study, it came out that the highest scorers on uh, uh, open-mindedness 
said that they were about twice as likely to have sat around in the nude for more than 15 times in the past year uh-huh. compared to the lowest scores. <laughs> but, were less, but were less likely to follow a sports team. Uh-huh. This is very interesting, actually. I'm beginning to think I'm open-minded. <laughs> but other people from which part <laughs> other people yeah that's right other people may not agree with that uh yeah so uh a very interesting yeah. set of studies interesting observations some of them fairly obvious some, yeah some of them not so obvious actually. no but it's true that our uh everyday behaviors betray What's going What's on? What's going in, on in the backpack? Back in the old news, uh-huh. right? It is for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously there are people who are trained or deliberately seek to disguise mm-hmm. that. Yes. Um, but that's probably a whole different set of issues. But yeah. uh, well, there you go. That that is our and finally. I think it's very interesting. We like mm-hmm. we like to touch on these behavioural things from time to time. Yeah. Because uh, let's face it, we're all constantly trying to understand ourselves better. And uh, me and Rafa have probably learned something. Yeah. That. I hope you also learned something. I I hope the listeners have. Yeah. I have. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> okay. That's so it. that's it. Yeah. And that's it for episode 53. We finished with the show. We survived. We survived the bacteria. The apocalypse. The apocalypse yeah. 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 I'd just like to say that no bacteria were harmed in the making of this program. <laughs> yes. Yeah. At uh, least by us. Uh, at least by us. Other people may be abusing them, but we're not. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic and is very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, pretty contemporary with what's going on. Yeah. You can see a lot of uh, situations of children and adults Absolutely. suffering because of resistance and we, to antibiotics. And we thought before the program that obviously there are enough things to worry about in the world, so why not have one more? So that's why we did this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, one more makes no difference. Will, on the pile that we've got, this isn't going to make a difference, right? Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. There you go. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Thank you, Carl. See you next week. Hmm. And uh, don't forget to recommend us if you like it. Yes, Down the rabbit hole. Please do. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio 2017.